Hey guys, welcome to the Panic Pod. This is a special episode because this week I got to interview Dr. Meg Van Dusen, who's just published a book called Stressed in the US, 12 Tools to Tackle Anxiety, Loneliness, Tech Addiction, and More. Dr. Meg Van Dusen began her career as an English teacher and journalistic writer, but then returned to school to study psychology, completing her doctorate of philosophy in clinical psychology at the California School of Professional Psychology. She's a member of the American Psychological Association. You know, the group cited on any major story about a new psychology finding. In her wide-ranging experience in the field, she's worked in family psychotherapy and with mentally ill patients who were committed to Western State Hospital in Southern California. Now, she still offers therapy at her practice in Seattle. I had a call with her there last week from her home as I sat in my family home in Calgary, Canada. At the time, we were both experiencing the haze hanging in the air from forest fires burning along the west coast of North America. I really enjoyed reading her book, which highlights global issues which may be affecting us, causing low-level anxiety or depression on a daily basis. It's kind of like that anecdote. Two young fish are swimming in the water when an older fish passing them says, Morning, boys. How's the water? Eventually, one of the young fish looks over at the other and goes, What's water? Dr. Meg Van Dusen points out stressors that we're trying or failing at adapting to in our modern world, like the water that we're all swimming in every day, and she offers 12 tools we can implement to cope with them and change our perspective to live healthier lives. It's a book we really need this year, and I was very grateful to get to speak with her, so I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to another episode of The Panic Pod. I'm Ella Jean, and uh, today is a really special episode. We're joined by Meg Van Dusen, uh, who has just written a book called Stress in the U.S., which I've read, and it is a really, really great book and really aligns with a lot of the stuff we talk about on The Panic Pod. And she's speaking to me this morning from Seattle. How are you this morning? Hi, Ella. You know, I'm actually doing fine, all things considering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually the first thing I wanted to ask you. You're based in Seattle. I'm in Calgary at the moment. Um, and I just kind of wanted to say uh, for the listeners that might hear this like a, a few weeks or a few months from now, um, we're in the midst of the California wildfires that are happening right now in 2020. And um, you studied in California. You grew up in California, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area and I um, did my graduate work in Los Angeles. Right. And um, I really appreciated how in your book, uh, which we'll get into talking all about, uh, you talk about climate grief and sort of the stress of like climate change. And it's just wild that it's uh, today that I'm getting to interview you. And just yesterday, I was like looking up at the haze in the sky. We're 1500 miles away from California and yet we're seeing the effects of the smoke in the sky and I just wanted to touch base with you and check in with you and say how sorry I am this is happening to the state that you grew up in and just like how how have you been processing things with like your family and people around you what's it like in Seattle um yeah what's the world like for you today right right I know it's um it's one more thing isn't it it's actually the entire west coast so um Oregon is in the midst of some absolutely horrific um, wildfires as well, as is Washington State. So it's all three states are on fire. 
um, California, you know, they've had the worst of it. So it's mm. been just, you know, millions of acres um, burned there. Um, but the air quality in all three states has been anywhere from the unhealthy to hazardous range. Um, right. And, you know, friends from Portland, friends and family from Oakland and Berkeley, all the way down to Los Angeles have, you know, sent me photos of what it looks like out their windows. And I'm looking out mine. And while it looks different, um, there's still smoke here. Um, you know, I think the general um, consensus is that it's scary. It looks mm -hmm. apocalyptic, particularly in parts of Oregon and California, you know, where the skies are just bright red and the streetlights are on at 10 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so I think people, you know, in general, um, in those, you know, the areas that are, are more acutely affected, dealing with evacuations and all of that, are, are simply scared. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just a, a sense of this is not normal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and people were already, we're already since, you know, because of the pandemic been feeling off kilter. We're already mm -hmm. feeling like things aren't normal as we're all walking around in face masks and, you know, trapped in, in our homes for months now um, that this, I think has just put people into kind of a new level of anxiety. I think up here in Seattle, it's not as acute, but we have all the smoke. We mm -hmm. just don't have the fires right here. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's just more of a sort of a low-grade depressed feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as uh, I was putting questions together yesterday, on one hand, it was like, well, you know, I'm really glad that this is my job and I get to speak to you because um, reading your book, I just really appreciated the um the first few chapters just being like look here are all the reasons that we have to acknowledge that our stress levels have been amped up by what we're seeing in the news with um really you you cite so many things since September 11th 2001 that um for north americans give us reasons to um have uh, a low level anxiety that we're just living with every day, really. And I'm Canadian, uh, but I remember watching the news. And like you say in your book, that um, event, even for, for children, like just to watch uh, uh, coverage of 9-11, um, children who watched that were more likely to um, develop uh, PTSD with, with things later in life. And I know that even people in the UK, like we all um, relate to these ramifications that uh, center around the United States. So just before writing Stress in the US, what was the the push that you had, the feeling that you had that this book has to be out? Was it conversations that you've had with people where you're like, listen, I can't keep repeating myself about we have to pay attention to our own chronic stress? Or was it just the repeat um, things you found yourself saying to clients in practice. Like, what was the real um, thing that you were holding on to as you wrote Stress in the U.S.? Well, I think it was a general sense of overwhelm, and that would be both in you know my personal life with friends and family, and just the um, focus of conversation um, was often on how people just didn't have time for anything, how overwhelmed people were, 
how stressed out people were. And then in my practice, um, particularly since the 2016 election, um, but really all throughout, you know, the last couple of decades, Hmm. stress has been really growing. And the focus of what people have been talking about in therapy has been changing uh, in that while everybody is obviously still concerned with what's going on with themselves individually, um, there was growing awareness and growing concern about what was happening on a national and a global level and that it was really affecting people's mental health. Um, and so much so that, you know, this was a common phenomenon that not just I, but my colleagues um, were seeing as well. And so those of us who were in consultation groups were, were talking quite a bit about how overwhelmed we were feeling with all of the overwhelm. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, just how much anxiety was rising in our practices mm -hmm. and how so many of these stressors were um, not just pervasive, but numerous. Um, mm -hmm. and, and included in that was this undercurrent of, you know, the smartphone, um, mm. which is a fabulous tool, but, you know, was sort of a, um, it creeping up on people in terms of uh, creating or adding to this information overload and addictive behaviors and people trying to self-soothe by flipping through their phone. Um, but of course that just breeds more anxiety. And so then we found, we, meaning my colleagues and I, you know, found ourselves often dealing with, you know, new things like tech addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that, you know, both what was happening for me personally and what I was seeing in my practice really led me, I became just very interested in, um, really wanting to help, um, you know, what I felt were the majority of people living in the U.S. with this chronic um, feeling of stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just on the the note of uh, smartphones, I was listening to uh, another podcast, the Attachment Theory and Action podcast that you were a mm. guest on, and um, mm -hmm. I really liked um, smartphones is, yeah, I think that everyone's affected by, like, I, I find it funny even sometimes talking to my parents my mom is a teacher uh, at a polytechnic so she teaches a lot of people like 18 to 25 year olds um mm -hmm. really uh, within my age range and she's mm -hmm. sort of you know stating these things about like millennials and i'll be like mom you have a smartphone too yeah, like you're just right. affected by this as me and i know that you have twitter and you're tweeting when the raptors are playing and you have your community <laughs> on facebook too so like you're experiencing this at the same rate um but yeah, just uh, I, I liked in that podcast how you talked about um, boundaries and finding your own boundaries to set with things like social media. And it's going to be different for everybody, uh, right? But um, even when you, you uh, as a guest, you just go over certain things to like include with your day, like if you're going to put boundaries around your smartphone time, or maybe it's like how much news you're going to consume um really the the opposite and the antidote to that um is just going outside and observing something that isn't on a fast moving platform or isn't just scrolling and you're if you're actually like taking a walk somewhere even if it's just like around your block you're having to 
you're having to notice as opposed to being fed information. Is that maybe the right way to put it? How it like is that yeah. is that describing mindfulness really? When you're not being fed by something, when you're just sort of um, well, picking up the information. Yeah, so I think we're talking about um, a couple of different things, but mindfulness is certainly um, the avenue um, that can help us sort of stop and appreciate the bigger picture. The the piece about going outside and being in nature. Uh, is really based on numerous studies that have come out now that have shown that um, walks in nature, and I'm not talking about it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to go drive two hours to the mountains and find a great hiking trail. Mm-hmm. Literally just going out onto your front porch and, you know, Yeah, let's talk about like a and, London person. Like how would yeah, somebody living in a city right. like what's just their version go of out on your front porch and stand there and look up at the sky and really take it in. Um, Because when you are um, appreciating nature, when you're actually looking at nature, when you're in it, it decreases cortisol levels, which is the main stress hormone in the body. Uh, It also uh, allows people to have a sense of awe, um, awe, A-W-E, in that... um, you know, we are so busy kind of scrolling and clicking and, and, you know, sending emails and, and moving constantly that, you know, really stopping to look at something wondrous, something vast, something bigger than us that's natural is not common. And when we do it, we get this sense of awe. And what happens when we get this sense of awe is that we feel more connected. We feel less alone loneliness being a big problem in the U.S. and and one of our biggest stressors. So, you know, being out in nature certainly can help reduce stress in that way. Mindfulness is just being present. Um, it's being in the present moment without judgment. Um, so you're not looking at those trees and saying, gosh, I wish they were taller. They're just, you know, they're, it doesn't, this isn't a, a, a nice enough walk for me. You're just being with the present moment. You're being, you're connected to whatever natural environment you're in. And that allows you then to have these feelings of awe or to be able to, um, you know, really soak up the benefits of being in a natural environment. Mm-hmm. So you can be going for a walk, but, you know, not really noticing anything and thinking about your to-do list, and that's not going to be useful. That's, right. not my, that's not mindfully being in nature. Um, and I'm saying all of this while I'm well aware of the fact that just yesterday, I mean, the thing that has saved so many people during the pandemic is being able to go outside, and we yeah. have not been able to do that here in Seattle, safely anyway. Mm-hmm. And just yesterday, my husband and I were, you know, sort of saying, God, we just really need to take a walk. This is, people are starting to climb the walls now. Those of us that are living with this unhealthy air because it has been our saving grace um, for the pandemic and has been a silver lining, I think, of the pandemic Mm -hmm. is that so many people have actually gotten outside and have reminded themselves of the beauty of nature and the calming effect that nature can have on our bodies Mm -hmm. yeah and there really is 
no replacement. Like I'm so lucky in Calgary. I live right near this huge reservoir. And it's funny, like I have been going there a little bit more in this kind of later stage of the pandemic and going, why haven't I been doing this the entire time? But, um, even so, even when we don't have those links to nature, like say that you are in, I really feel for my friends in like a one bedroom apartment in London and no windows or a very small window. And that's kind of what you've been stuck with this entire pandemic. But even with that kind of two things, one is when I started unpacking anxiety for myself and, um, bringing in sort of more, uh, things to help heal. Like I was really the type of person that needed to know that the doctors or scientists had done some sort of proof on these things that we're talking about. So just to say for the listener, all the things that you're talking about, you back up so extremely well in the book, talking about all these different studies um, that show even just um, psychology experiments where it's been just looking at footage of nature even can yeah. help people. Relax. And that's like I say, there's no thing like the real thing, but, um, but yeah, I really encourage people to, to read your book on the fact that there's, there's so many things that just really prove what it is that we're talking about. And I know that myself, um, before, uh, learning more about anxiety and, and reducing stress, I, I would sort of hear wellness people speak about this and go like, Oh yeah, sure. Like whatever you say that it works, but yeah, those things really have proved to them. But like you say, you have to you have to remember also to let go of the to-do list and not have a inner narrative running the entire time that's distracting you from the chemicals happening in our body and how they're, they're affected by the natural world. The other thing that I, I like that you said in this Attachment Theory in Action podcast was uh, the opportunity in the pandemic uh, to reset. And I really mm -hmm. like that because um, it's hard to find moments in this if you're a very extroverted person and you really miss hanging out with your friends or you have the type of job that's just been like totally shut down with this pandemic. It's hard to find those silver linings, but I really appreciated the the again it's kind of a sense of awe that that provides to just think yeah what do i what do i really want coming out of this how do i want to see the world change coming out of this um mm -hmm. can you talk more about the importance of asking that question to reset and and what that question holds when people ask it of themselves yeah i think first when you know the stay at home orders first went into effect you know, people were bouncing off the walls, quite anxious, um, directionless, not sure what to do with themselves without their usual, you know, uh, rituals and tasks and um, even jobs, right, that they had mm -hmm. been um, busy with. And uh, when I talk about pressing the reset button, you know, while there's certainly a lot to grieve about all that we have lost, you know, personally and globally in these last several months. Um, it's important to look for silver linings and to look at, okay, so what now? Um, and, you know, some examples of that, I mean, I, I have uh, both friends and, and, and clients of mine that have really begun to re-examine their lives 
um, during this time. So I'm thinking about one man in particular who's uh, was in the service industry, and so his industry was shut down, and he wasn't able to work for several months. And he really began to re-examine whether this whether this was a career that he wanted to continue with or not. Um, and he had had some ideas about, you know, an invention or two, and he, you know, never really took them seriously. Um, but he really began to pursue one of his entrepreneurial ideas during this time and really began to simultaneously work on building his self-confidence because that was really the thing that had been the obstacle prior. And so he practiced meditation. He worked on, you know, tuning into the way that he talked to himself in order to get up the courage to pursue this entrepreneurial idea, which he is doing now. Um, And I, you know, I don't know if he would have done that had the pandemic not hit, you know, and had he not, you know, had all of those months um, not being able to work, you know, he may have just continued to go along doing his job. Um, you know, I there's another person who, you know, has not been able to go into their office. Um, she still maintains her job, but she isn't in her usual office environment amidst all her colleagues. And she has both a uh, urban dwelling and um, is fortunate enough to have another uh, rural um, um, residence. And so she's been spending most of her time in the rural residence um, while working from home and really began to notice that actually she feels so much calmer. She feels so much more mm-hmm. at ease working out of, you know, the rural residents than being in the city where her office was and where she, you know, resided most of the time. And so she is really considering um, actually selling that place in the city. And, you know, even when we are able to go back into the office, considering staying working from home from this rural place where she is more in touch with nature and she has more community um, just right there um, where you get together with your neighbors and that's your community and there's a lot less happening online socially mm-hmm. and uh, so these are just kind of the ways in which you know people's lives have really changed in some ways for the better um, mm-hmm. you know um, because of adverse circumstances mm-hmm. yeah it all kind of gets wrapped up into one when we have these experiences that you there can be so many things that are bad, but at the same time, even just people being uh, crash coursed in technology, we've seen that's had a benefit to us where we realize, okay, if we're trying to reduce emissions meeting up together, now we all know that Zoom really isn't that bad in certain circumstances if we want to have a meeting or right. we can schedule things pretty easily. So yeah, there's there's certainly uh, silver linings to it. And um yeah, I I just appreciated how you said uh, hope. You know, we have to hold on to hope. Hope can be a really powerful force. And I was really thinking about that yesterday, looking out at this haze uh, mm. and, you know, what felt like just the sign of what's the next 50 years of my life going to be like. Is this going to, like, uh, my dad was showing me, like, oh, yeah, the, the weather app is showing when there's like toxic air and like size the air quality. And I'm like, yeah, this is really, this is the future. Uh, but to hold that hope of 
Um, I want to take action because I want to be able to go walk around that nice reservoir again. Um, it's a, it's a hard thing to inspire. Like when you talk about, um, one thing that I, I did really want to bring up is uh, a few episodes back, Josh and I did an episode on conditions of worth, which was a psychology term that I was unfamiliar with, but I found it was really resonant in talking about when you put a lot of weight and stress on one area of your life, that you start to develop a lot of stress around that one portion of my life has to succeed. So for a lot of people that might be work, um, for some people that might be keeping the perfect family, being the perfect parent, um, putting a lot of pressure on um, being the right partner, providing for your partner. If you consider that maybe like we all have, you know, five to eight different sort of spheres of our life where that's work or relationship or different things. Um, when we put a lot of weight on one of them, that can cause a lot of stress. Do you think that this pandemic has helped us in that widening of the lens and, and seeing the bigger picture and seeing, Hmm, I wonder if this job that I'm in really makes me happy or, or like you say in that, in that example, if this living situation is making me happy. Yeah. I mean, I think it has, you know, in a strange way provided us with that opportunity to widen the lens. Yes. I mean, you know, an example, and I see it far too often in my practice is, you know, the stressor of a tyrannical boss, for example, mm. and people can get so over-focused on, you know, being afraid of this person, on trying to please this person, on going over documents and going over documents again to make sure that there are no mistakes for fear that they will get chastised by this person, you know, uh, their entire lives can be run by, you know, um, what I call a tyrannical boss. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think with the pandemic, even though it has stripped us of so many of our daily rituals and so many connections that we have with people in person um, that are meaningful to us, um, it can also give us a wider perspective in terms of stepping back and taking a look at how we had been living our lives. And is it worth it? You know, um, I often talk to people who, you know, are just really gripped by fear, which is essentially the, you know, a threat, which is what stress is about. It's, it's the response to a perceived threat. Uh, you know, gripped by fear that if they, you know, don't do a good job for this individual, that they will be fired and try to play that out with people. So what then, mm -hmm. you know, what, it, what is the worst case scenario, the what ifs? And I keep kind of trying to help people widen the lens um, uh, further because uh, people can get really caught in that's, that just can't happen. I won't survive. Um, just sort of sweeping generalizations um, that are more reactions than they are really kind of um, observations of, you know, the um, depth and breadth of life and how much opportunity there actually is, you know, for us as individuals and um, for us to, to grow um, even mm -hmm. in, you know, what you know, seems like dire circumstances. So mm -hmm. 
And hope is a component of that. And hope is, there's actually a formula to hope. It's not just some kind of like, you know, vague idea that things will be better. Um, hope really is a, a buffer against depression. Um, it's proven that if you, the, the people that have more hope are less depressed. And it really entails goal setting. I mean, and it could be something simple. Um, it doesn't have to be some big sweeping grand goal of I'm going to find my dream job. But, you know, setting realistic goals for yourself, really thinking through the pathways to those goals. How are you going to get there step by step? Imagining what could get in your way, and that's an important one, really imagining what obstacles could get in the way of my reaching this goal, so that you can also imagine how would I get around that obstacle. Um, and thinking that through is, is the formula to achieving those goals, which then allows people to feel, you know, that, that goals are realizable, that things are achievable, that there's something I can do. Uh, it does require some degree of agency or determination, some way of encouraging mm -hmm. yourself. You know, you need to be able to encourage yourself. I don't mean kick yourself in the butt, but, you know, kindly, mm -hmm. kindly encourage yourself to mm -hmm. um, stay the course. Um, and, you know, that can look like just about anything right now, depending, even with climate change, you know, it can mm -hmm. look like, well, there are things we can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Like, I, I love that Josh talks a lot about those what ifs for anxiety, but just so interesting that that feels like such a paradox that actually, if you're in a, a safe environment with a, a counselor, a therapist, taking you down that road of the what ifs, it is incredible how that actually, once you kind of hit this um kind of wild or unrealistic ending of like, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll get so depressed and I'll lose my job and I won't speak to anyone. You, the therapist can just ask you like, do you really, do you really think that's going to happen? You really think that's how it's going to play out? It does this weird thing of actually widening the lens, the deeper down that what if hole you go, if you are in a safe environment to, to go all the way down. I just find that so interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask about, um, yeah, that realistic goal setting, I think is so important because um, I will start to frame this in the American, North American way of looking at things. And I know that um, this could be considered Western world. I'm sure people in the UK could understand um, this idea and where this is coming from. But um, Canada is similar to the States when it comes to that sort of the American dream mentality of like, you set these huge goals and mm. you, you kind of sometimes even hold back your short-term happiness for the sake of, you know, I've got to make partner. I've got to get this job. I've got to make this much money. I've got to be able to buy a speedboat. And those things can mm -hmm. kind of pull us away from the short-term happiness even. Mm. And so I've got, a, I've got a huge question for you here. Uh, just because I loved reading your book. I wish there mm -hmm. were people in, in both sides of our government that, that read it. Um, that, uh, if you start to see these patterns coming through your practice, and if you were then been able to provide something to a community with a, with a huge amount of money, say you got a grant for your city, or even if you got to, to, to pass a bill, um, is there any 
one area that you would focus on? Is there anything that you think that um, we should be uh, changing about our relationship to technology, to our relationship to how we work, how hard we work, um, that if you could change an American's life, what do you think you would focus on first? What sort of change would you implement? Well, there are so many, but mm -hmm. I think that if we don't have our health, um, we um, really don't care about much else. And so people living in the U.S. need to know that health care is a right and not a privilege. Mm -hmm. And so I would make sure that every single American had health care, um, that mm -hmm. every single American did not have to pay uh, a health insurance premium, did not have to pay, you know, um, extraordinary out-of-pocket, if any, out-of-pocket expenses. You know, I mean, health care, 70% of people living in the U.S. are stressed about health care. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I I just think that that's a really really important thing that needs changing here, um, and and like I said that's just one of many. Um, it's similar to the idea that if we don't have our planet, nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. So all of the other things around boundaries, around technology, or you know everything else. It, none of that matters if we don't have a home, if we don't have a planet, which definitely, um, you know, bills to uh, drastically reduce fossil fuels need to uh, get signed into, um, into law so that, you know, we are really um, addressing climate change. And I think the healthcare issue, because, you know, if, if people aren't well, um, they can't work. And I don't think health insurance should be tied to your job. I mean, our unemployment rate mm -hmm. right now, I mean, it's been at 10%. Um, mm -hmm. And so that just automatically throws, not that I, even everybody who has a job gets health insurance, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's so tied to one's job here in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. And we're seeing now that that's just, you know, it's dangerous. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I guess that's, you know, that would be the thing that comes to my mind first is making sure that everybody is taken care of with their basic physical and mental health needs. Wow. That's a great answer to a very huge question that I gave you. So well done. I think that's a really good answer both to link that. Yeah. Like what else you can't have any of those other things in life if you don't have your health to enjoy them with. And mm -hmm. the same with the planet, those two are just really linked. Like if we, if we don't have the resources to, to, get to our job and to prosper in the way that we want to, then we don't really have much. It's the, now I'm just thinking to close this up, like we got to think of a new mental health buzzword mm. that encapsulates both of those things that we got to get this hashtag trending on Twitter. We got to, this is going to, this is going to blow up your book sales. We got to do this. How do we link <laughs> a catchy phrase of like planet health and healthcare? I think, I think this is going to be the new, uh, maybe not even mental health awareness. Maybe we just need to get health awareness to be the new buzzword. Global yeah, health awareness. It could know. be global health awareness. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are so many things that get in the way of that. And one of the things I talk about in my book, and it's, it's, um, it spans across numerous 
you know, different facets of American life. And that is the concept of setting compassionate boundaries. Mm. Um, and I think that we need to do that. We need to do that, um, you know, on a political level. We need to do that with our technology. You know, we need to do that with the way in which we talk to ourselves. Um, people talk to themselves negatively most of the time. Uh, and it just makes everything worse. It makes us um, more crippled in terms of, you know, um, trying to find a way through our anxiety and through our depression and trying to find our way to hope and, you know, problem solving, you know, some of these issues. So I also like mm -hmm. to think about just that concept of having, you know, it's not just about being compassionate toward ourselves and toward each other. It's but it's also about being, you know, having compassionate boundaries, having a way to hold ourselves accountable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have been, <laughs> I've been thinking about this topic and uh, I've decided to call it uh, the Queer Eye Dilemma and stay with me here. It's because I've been watching a lot of Queer Eye in lockdown. I really love Queer Eye. And what, um, what I love about this revamp of what they've done with it is it's all about finding people who are doing a lot for their community or have done a lot for their partner or their family and they're just trying to get by. Um, but this kind of paradox that's created when we want to change the world, we want to help others, um, and we want to be so much for our community, but we do that at the expense of ourselves. That creates all of these stressors of being so stretched and um, it's just kind of funny when, like in every yeah. episode, really, Queer Eye is all just about like creating those healthy boundaries. Like how much time do you need to eat a good meal? How much time do you need to de-stress and do something for yourself? Like whether that's going to get your nails done or whether that's going for a walk or like whatever it is, I, I actually really feel like Queer Eye is all about setting those healthy boundaries for yourself in life and 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 showing these people who have, hit burnout so many times in the the amazing community work that they're doing that those are important um how do you even begin to to take a person aside who you see is burning out from that and um like even actually through the the anxiety group that we have going kind of alongside um uh people who listen to the panic pod and just like uh there's just this anxiety UK group that's on Facebook that we, we chat on all the time. And, um, uh, this poor guy was a healthcare worker. I found myself trying to help after his post about feeling really anxious. I said like, yeah, you know, like try to find some time to cook a good meal for yourself. If that's relaxing for you or, um, try to find time to go for a walk. And I was saying all this advice and he's like, he's like, I don't have the time to like tie my shoes, let alone, like make myself a meal. And I, I felt really kind of at, at an end of, yeah, I surely just through a Facebook comment, you can't really get to that level of saying like this, this is important and I wanted to help him, but it also felt like, like when people see that disconnect of I'm doing everything I can to help others, I don't have time to take care of myself. How do you start to kind of break into that and go, I think you'd last a lot longer if you if you had the queer eye team come help you, not, not that, but if you had, if you had a pause to, to really think about um, what you need as a person before you can help others. Yeah. I mean, this is where um, mindfulness comes in. This is where pausing to breathe comes in. This is where 
pausing long enough to have a compassionate connection with yourself comes in. And what I do with people in therapy is I really guide them in that I might take five minutes, I might take 20 minutes in a session to just pause and say, we're going to help you breathe to actually mm-hmm. calm your nervous system, first of all, because that idea of I don't have time is you're just running on adrenaline. I mean, you're, you know, your nervous mm-hmm. system's jacked up and you're going, going, going. You can't imagine sitting down. You can't imagine, imagine quote unquote, relaxing, you know, they're just mm-hmm. running. It's a, it's a, um, it's, it's difficult to intervene on that unless you actually get yourself to breathe and engage that parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calming part of the nervous system. So the body begins to calm. And once the body begins to calm, then we can kind of facilitate sort of a, you know, a a compassionate check-in with the self. And there are numerous ways that I do that with with, um, my clients. But when you actually pause to check in with yourself, you might say something like, so Meg, how are you right now? Um, Mm. That can just be such a powerful thing for people. Mm. You know, people, you know, often just start crying because they haven't asked themselves that question. It hasn't been asked of them either. And, Mm. you know, that can start to, again, press the reset button once we really begin to tune into ourselves. And this is important because I talk a lot about attachment, which we don't have time to get into right now, but it's what facilitates secure attachment with the self. And when you have what's called a secure attachment with yourself and with other people, you're much more resilient to stress. You can handle stress a lot better. So that Mm -hmm. idea of running out of time is actually, you know, um, something that it's not just if you intervene on, it's a necessity. It it, it must be intervened on because mm. you'll continue running and you'll continue to feel like you're running out of time. You absolutely have to take that time. You have to pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that uh, whole kind of route that you take this book on was so helpful for me. Uh, I truly, truly loved reading this book. Um, the, the way that you transitioned from here's some acknowledgement of the stresses that we're facing to introducing attachment theory to people who don't know. Um, I'll, I'll let them read your book to, to learn about attachment theory. Cause it's so powerful. You, you reading it, you just go, Oh yeah. All those experiences I've had in my life relate to this. Even as you say, the one that's to yourself, when you have that inner talk going it's it it all really there's a reason that so many people just uh work with clients through attachment theory and then all the practical advice that you go through to help people uh de-stress and and just acknowledge the things that you might be stressed about that you're not taking a moment for in life um i really really enjoyed reading this book uh it is called stress in the u.s i'm going to include it down in the show notes um i would love to talk to you for a whole other hour but i think that's all the time that we have um, I just really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to me today. And, um, I hope that people in Canada, the UK, US, wherever our listeners are tuning in from that they check out your book. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Is there, is there anything else that, that I can plug for you or that we can, we can say before we, we wrap this up? 
Oh, it was great talking with you, Ella. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Yeah, the book, you can find it, Stressed in the U.S. It's 12 Tools to Tackle Anxiety, Loneliness, Tech Addiction, and More. And if you want more information, people can just go to my website, which is megvandusen.com. Well, there you have it. Thank you again to Dr. Meg Van Dusen for being a guest on this episode. Thank you, the listener, for tuning into the Panic Pod. We'll be back next week with Joshua, and our topic is anxiety versus anxiety disorder, talking about the difference between those. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram at the Panic Pod. We're on Facebook. Um, if you'd like to reach out and ask us a question for the podcast, you can email talk at thepanicroom.co.uk. Both of those are included in the show notes. Now, before the next podcast comes up on your queue or you turn this off to carry on with the next thing in your day, I just want to ask, how are you? How are you really? Ask yourself. It's okay. It's worth the time.